welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. This is a really special edition of our Dads with Daughters podcast. Now, you might say, well, this is a podcast, and we're, but we're recording it today. We are recording it today so that we have this video to be able to share with all of you within our, our Fathering Together communities, but we're also going to share this with all of, all of uh, our podcast listeners as well. I'm really excited to have you here with us again today. And for, for me, I have been talk, I've talked with Jeffrey in the past, um, but, uh, but I am really excited because of the work that we are doing in regards to gender equity, the work that he is doing in gender equity, and we're going to talk about some of the amazing things that he is doing. Now, I, I talked about his first name, but today we're being, um, the person that is joining us today is Jeffrey Tobias Halter. Now, if you've never heard of Jeffrey, he's got a huge list, a huge bio that goes with his name. But, but basically, when you look at his bio, you're going to see that it says that he is a corporate gender strategist. Now, you might say, what the heck is that? We're going to talk about that. But what that means is that he is a leading expert in engaging men to advance women. Now, as fathers of daughters, we all should be doing that. And definitely, we're going to be talking about how we can do that and how he is doing that um, after, after many years in the corporate sector, after having a daughter himself. And I'm really excited to be able to learn more about his story and have him share his story with you. Jeffrey, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure to have you here. Now, I always start my interviews with with an opportunity to delve deeper into you as a father. And I know you've got an adult daughter right now. Yep. And uh, but I want to turn the clock back in time. So let's go back. We're going to go back about thirty five years. And oh gosh. Okay. So, so we got to think back here. But I want to turn back the clock to that first moment where you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. Tell me about that. <laughs> Wow, that's funny. Um, I can tell you, I uh, I learned I was going to be a father um, when my wife told me. Obviously, I'll just share a quick funny story with you. I was working for a company, and um, I, I wasn't real happy in my job. Uh, I was calling on grocery stores, and believe it or not, I was uh, representing and selling toilet paper, diapers, and feminine napkins. And it was, you know, it was a job and it was, and it was a great company, but it was something my heart clearly wasn't in. And so I literally came home to tell my wife that, um, honey, I'm in, I'm a good salesperson, but I need to go do something else. And she looked at me and smiled and said, well, I'm pregnant and you sell diapers. I think God is trying to tell us something. And so I, uh, I stayed for another two years. And, uh, and it actually turned out really well. I ended up being recruited away to the Coca-Cola company uh, where I'd spent 26 years. And so, uh, but, but, but that's how I actually found out I was going to be a father. And, uh, and we did have diapers for both our children that we stockpiled. So that was nice. Um, I found out I was the father of a daughter, um, you know, in the birthing room when, when I saw our, uh, our daughter born and, uh, you know, I'm sure you. This happens a lot. You know, it's so emotional, and uh, uh, I had come from uh, both of my brothers had five sons, 
And so you just kind of get this feeling that, oh, you're probably going to have a son, which, which would have been wonderful. We had no expectation. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, it's a girl. And, uh, and your life changes. So, uh, yeah, so, so that was the first moment that, uh, that I found out I was going to be a daughter. Um, and, uh, and daughters are just different. Daughters are just, they're just different. I won't say they're better than sons uh, or tougher to raise than sons. They're just different. And uh, I have a son and I have a daughter. I love both my children and uh, still married after 42 years uh, to, the, to the mother of our children. So, uh, so it's been a great ride. So you talked about having a daughter is and raising a daughter is different. Now, mm-hmm. what would you say was the hardest part in raising a daughter? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny, and, and, and people may not believe this, because um, some people might say the drama or the, you know, the, the peer pressure or whatnot. Um, we were blessed with wonderful children. Um, our daughter, up until probably a 15 or 16, was just an angel. Um, listened, did her homework. Um, our son was exactly the same way. I give all the credit to my wife. I was a sales guy. I was gone. So, so I, I don't take a lot of credit for the amazing children that we raised. Uh, and then you get into the, you know, the, the challenges. I think the hardest part is, um, is knowing that they've got to find out things for themselves. And, you know, sadly, you learn that the, the hard lessons in life are the hard lessons in life, but you know what? They're also the ones you remember most. And so, you know, when you, when you see your daughter struggling in either um, relationships or maybe those first couple jobs or, um, you know, disagreeing with her best friend over something that's not of any consequence. Um, It's just, you know, sitting on the bed and, uh, talking to her about what's going on in her life. And uh, this is actually something um, that I did um, because about probably 10 years into my sales career at Coke, I would transition into sales and training and I would uh, become a certified trainer. And I did a lot of uh, Myers-Briggs, a lot of uh, holistic work um, with some reader, what some listeners might call woo-woo work uh, where you journal and you reflect and, um, I actually uh, wrote a letter to my daughter and my son on their 16th birthday, on their 18th birthday, and when they graduated from college. And, um, and it just causes you to reflect. And, uh, and these gifts to them were some of the most valuable things that they still have and they still carry around. And so when I turned uh, 60, I said, I want you to write me a letter. And of course, they hated it. And um, they're, they're two of my most cherished possessions. So it seems a little hokey. But I want to tell you, particularly for men, it's, I think, so much easier to write things down and hand them, particularly to your daughter, than maybe trying to explain them. So, so. Hopefully that works for some of your uh, for some of your listeners. <clears throat> no, I think that's great, and 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 I agree that 
I, I think that the teenage years can be challenging. I mean, I've got two, I've got a preteen and a teenager right now, and they're both daughters. And indefinitely, you just have to strap on, right? And yeah. be ready and be ready for the, what happens and, and just be, and ho- hopefully at that point, you've built a strong relationship yeah. through their young years to be able to yeah. provide, provide them with the stability in their teenage years and beyond as well. Now, yeah. your daughter is in her 30s right now. And yep. I know that, um, I'm sure that as she was growing up, you probably had some fears, some fears about her growing up in society today. Um, what would you say were your biggest fears for your daughter as she was growing up? Yeah, you know, um, you always worry about their safety. You know, you just um, driving and uh, peer pressure. And, you know, all of the things that come along with that. Uh, and so I would say, you know, those are, those are probably the, the biggest ones. Um, what was interesting, so my daughter, uh, when she went to grad school, um, uh, she was obviously in her 20s, but she moved down to Orlando to go to uh, University of Central Florida. And um, she was paying much of her own way. I helped her on tuition, but I said, you know, you know I want you to have some equity in this. And so she lived, uh, her housing was kind of in a, maybe a little sketchy area, right? And uh, there wasn't a night that I didn't go to bed. I mean, her her door, you know, she had a roommate, male roommate. Um, but, you know, you could have kicked this in, you know, without even a hard kick. And so, uh, and it became a running joke with us. And so every day she lived in Orlando, she would have to text me. And all she would have to text me is, I am okay. And, uh, and getting that in the morning, whether it was 10.30 or 7.30 or 12.30, depending on her hours and when she slept, um, it was a connection point. It was a connection point for five years. And because uh, then she stayed down there and worked. Uh, she met her eventual husband. And so... Uh, uh, so, uh, so those little connections, I think, uh, without asking them to do a lot means so much more to you. So, and then I'll share one more story. Um, you know, cause I'm kind of reaching this point in my, in my life where I'm starting to wind down, right? I've been doing corporate gender training now for 10 years. I've been on the road about 30 weeks a year. And I know we'll talk later about the progress that maybe has been made or hasn't been made and what's going on. And um, three years ago, my daughter gave birth to a granddaughter. And so I looked at her in the nursery and I said, oh my God, now I have to do this gender equity work for another 20 years to make sure that you have every opportunity in the world. So, uh, so as much as I have thought about kind of winding down and, and, uh, and uh, scaling back on this a little and enjoying life, um, yeah, that she kind of drives me now and she's three and she's adorable and she's the center of our world. Well, yeah, you got a few more years ahead of you then yep. in that work that you're yep. going to be doing. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I, yep. you know, I, you have a company called Why Women. 
And uh-huh. I and I want to want you tell me the story about this. And I know that sure. there's longer pieces out there. You've got a TEDx yep. talk and things that yep. about this. But having a daughter yourself and being in corporate America as you were, um, yep. there there what was that point? What was that 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 pivotal point where you said to yourself, "I need to do more." Yeah. Um, what, what, what's really of interest is um, um, I ended up having to run a diversity education program. And uh, this was a job I didn't want uh, for a whole host of reasons. I got assigned to run this position. And um, it was it was kind of that really crappy training that you've seen on the office, you know, that bad corporate diversity training. It wasn't quite that bad, but it was pretty bad. But I tell a story. Uh, that seems so commonplace today, but in 2003, it wasn't. And I had a friend of mine who I've known for years stand up and he said, and he's a black gentleman, and we were just sharing stories. And he said the, one of the lowest points of his life, uh, he said, I'm a vice president at Coca-Cola and uh, I, I live in Columbus, Ohio. I live in a beautiful neighborhood and I drive a white Jaguar. And at least once every two weeks, I'm pulled over on my way home for being nothing more than a black man in a nice car in a nice neighborhood. And he says, you know how tired you are at the end of the day? And, and, you, and you go through a whole host of emotions because this has happened to him all the time in his life. And he said one of the saddest days of his life was when he got pulled over and his 15-year-old son is sitting next to him. And he knew in that moment, all he could do was put his hands on the wheel and be as polite as possible so that this behavior would be mirrored by his son when he got pulled over. And I have to tell you, that story changed me. I said, there is stuff going on here that I just don't understand. And so I didn't become an advocate at that point, but I started going and talking to people. And I talked to all my black colleagues and said, is this common? They said, oh, my God, yes. And then I talked to women. I said, what does this feel like? What does this sound like? And, and so between, um, you know, that one epiphany moment and the next 10 years, I would come to learn that um, as long as men are 80% of senior leadership in most companies, and I do corporate work, Um, we will never drive long-term advancement for women or other underrepresented groups without their active advocacy. And my gift is I'm an old white guy and I can talk to them differently and they hear things differently. I actually co-facilitate with uh, with a number of people and and it might be an African-American gentleman, it might be a white female, and we will say literally the same thing. And you know there's an unconscious bias in that leadership team that says, oh, he's playing the race card. Oh, he's playing, she's playing the, the woman card. Wow, this Jeff guy, he really knows what he's talking about. And it's a complete unconscious bias on their side. And oh, by the way, I can say things to them that these other two individuals can't. And, and, and they just have to hear it from someone like themselves. And, and that's where... Um, you know, 10 years ago, I said, uh, uh, I'm going to focus on women because it's a gateway. Uh, having done diversity training for 10 years, 
and it's now, you know, especially today's age has borne this out. Um, most people aren't ready to have a conversation around race. But if I can get you to have a conversation around the fact that men and women are different and having different experiences, then you may feel comfortable going and talking to a black colleague or a Hispanic colleague and just asking questions. And, and what I've found is you can literally go up to any person uh, in an underrepresented group. And if you ask in a genuine manner, can you tell me about Black Lives Matter? What am I missing here? What don't I understand? And you will hear it first person from them. And, and I have found that you can ask, ask literally any question. If you ask in a genuine manner, wanting to know their point of view, demonstrating empathy. And, and that's how you start this. You know, all of my male engagement training, and I actually do a, I do a, a seven-hour day for 30 men at a time in corporate America to become better advocates at advancing women. But their very first homework assignment is to take a woman to coffee, or now virtual coffee, and ask her one question. What don't I understand about the experience you're having? And oh, by the way, she's not going to say anything. You know, most women don't want to be the flag bearer for all things women in their company. So I tell them, ask again and don't interrupt her. Don't say, hey, you know, we got a policy. You talk to so-and-so, just shut up and listen. And then ask a third time. And in that last 10 minutes, you get insights that you had no idea existed. You thought that the two of you were having equal experiences in the workplace, and you're not. And then with that kernel of knowledge, you can start to build your brain. And so a lot of my training is having men read McKinsey reports, lean-in reports, case studies, and then taking that back to their workplace. Because this is the other thing I found out. Um, Men need data. I'm not justifying this behavior, but it helps us to make this connection back to the business, whether it's women as consumers, women as talent, driving more engagement, whatever. And so that's where the, the strategist part comes in to play for me. I make business connections around gender and race. So you know, it's, it's really a long answer, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I think helped. it's. I think it's really interesting. And, you know, you've been doing this now for, for a number of years. And, yeah. and I'm sure that you've seen some movement. But, yeah. but what kind of movement have you actually seen? And where are we at today versus yeah. where you started? And where do we still need to go? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, there was um, just a... Uh, uh, and I'm drawing a blank, it might be Morgan Stanley, Marilyn, someone just did a massive gender equity study uh, of the Fortune 500. And, and literally 300 of the Fortune 500 have uh, shared their data and the, and the attempts they want to make in the next five years to do more to promote women. So that includes accountability, reporting, transparency, things like that. So I think You've got a group that acknowledges the issue. I think if you look outside of those 300, you have 700, if we use the Russell 1000, who may or may not even have a clue. We don't know what to do. Uh, we don't know how to get started. 
And then you start to dissect that a little further, right? Out of that 300, I would say there's 100 companies that really, really get this. You know, IBM, Sodexo, Marriott, the, uh, uh, the, the companies that are always winning awards for their advancement of women. And where are we on progress? I, that's where I get back to. I think 100 companies are doing it really well. I think there's 200 companies that are voicing an opportunity. I think you've got 700 companies who are running the gamut of, of do we get it or not. And that's just corporate America. You know, then you have to look societally and, and at all these other factors. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much. Um, I do work uh, with these men, uh, this full day session with 30 men. And I have now probably put close to 600 men through this program in the last five years. None of these guys is going to make a headline. They all want to be great leaders. They all want to be great managers. And they want to be supportive advocates for women. And, and you know, and it's sad, Me Too is not going away. And so there's going to be the Me Too knuckleheads who suck all the attention. And the guys I'm working with are never going to make a headline. And so we can say, has progress stalled? Um, we're certainly at an interesting reflection point. And, and I think the answer is in five years. And the reason I say that is that's when the last of the baby boomers is going to retire. You know, 10,000 baby boomers a day are leaving the workforce. It's actually accelerated a little with COVID, but the majority of them are older white men like myself. And new entries into the workforce are predominantly women, people of color, or millennials. And so the very representation in corporate America has to change just because there's no old white guys around anymore, right? And, and I think you're going to see the same true in politics, both city, local, um, federal. Um, you're going to see it in associations and societal. Uh, but I think the world in five years looks significantly different, but the number one driver, I think, is just boomer retirements. And the smart companies are going to figure out, we got to keep our best and brightest, or they're going to be the next Sears or the next Circuit City. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that it is important. It's so important on the corporate level. Now, one of the things that I wanted to kind of ask you about is because that you're working on a corporate side. And we have a lot of dads out there that are trying to advocate for their daughters, no matter what age they are. And they may work in a corporate environment. They might not. Yep. But they may want to take that next step to be able to advocate in a different way. Yep. From the work that you do, what are some things that dads, no matter what they do in life, yeah. What are some steps that they can take to take that next step to advocate for their daughters in this gender equity work? Yep. And, and, and I'll tell you, the, the strategy is exactly the same as I use corporately. And, and it's a model called listen, learn, lead, and have the will. And so the listen part is that conversation I told you earlier about, you know, have, the, have this with a woman. Learn is learning about the challenges and issues that women are facing today, especially their daughters. 
Uh, I'll give your listeners a absolutely terrifying book. Uh, and it was the book that Gretchen Carlson wrote uh, around the whole Fox situation. And, um, and, and I apologize, I'm drawing a blank on the, on the name, but you can certainly look it up. Um, but it, it talks about the statistics of sexual harassment um, and, and worse, sexual assault among college-aged women. And that college-aged women, I believe the number is almost 40% of college-aged women will experience some kind of sexual harassment or sexual assault. And she gets into the high school numbers, and I don't recall those offhand, but if you're a father, if you don't think your daughter is going to face some type of harassment or assault, you're kidding yourself. So that's where you have to learn. And then the lead part is um, talking to other men. And this is really hard, right? This is the man code. I will tell you, when I shifted out of sales and marketing to doing work to advancing women, my peer of best friends, who, oh, by the way, are middle-aged white guys at that time, were like, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing this women's thing? And you just have the courage, you have to have the courage to say, look, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for your daughter and for my daughter. And literally that one statement catches them so by surprise that it reframes their thinking. You know, you've got to put it in a term that's, that's for them. And so it's like, you know why you're going to go do this? Um, you're, you're doing it for your daughter. And, and sadly, you know, this is, and, I, and I'm sure your listeners have talked about it a lot, and I'm not justifying it, but men rarely make the connection that if they're not advocating for women, they're actually hurting their daughter's future. And so you can't do it at home and then not do it at work. You know, you, you can't be two separate people. And so, you know, I think I introduced this, you know, the last time we talked, uh, if you go to my website, I actually have an initiative called the Father of Daughter Initiative. And you can download this and put your daughter's name on it and sign it. I also have an advocating for women, which women and, and men without daughters can have to, to sign for a woman. But just signing this and putting it in your office marks you as an advocate. Or how about this? How about you sign it and put it in your daughter's bedroom to say that I am going to watch out for you? And then maybe you encourage some other fathers to do this, right? Uh, and, and then you start to, to share this, this well-intended good behavior. So, so even though it's a corporate tool, I think it has a lot of applicability for the work you're doing. Well, I really appreciate it. And, um, and as you were talking, I did look and it, Gretchen Carlson's book is getting real. Thank so you. It, and I'll put a link in our in the notes so that everyone knows about that. Um, but it, it that is a powerful story. And, and I know that there are others. Um, I mean, there, there's a book book by, um, by Michelle Travis that just tells some amazing stories yep. on the corporate side as well, yep. uh, called uh, dad's four daughters. Um, yep. And you're a part of that as well. And there's, I mean, some amazing fathers that um, just the fact of being fathers themselves made them take that next step. 
to say, yeah. like you were saying, it's not even the pledge that you had, but it's just, I have a daughter and I'm seeing yeah. what my daughter is going through and I want to take that next step. Um, well, and the, you know, and the, and the thing I would point out um, in Gretchen's book, um, the first three pages, three full pages are names she's been called in her life in the news industry, mostly because she was a woman and the advances that she looked at. And I will tell you, it is very raw and it is very real. And when you read that and you start to think about, oh my God, my daughter could be going through this. And then as a father, you got to ask yourself, would she feel comfortable telling me? You know, because especially younger girls or teenagers, you know, are they going to tell their parents, hey, I'm being bullied. Hey, I'm being cyber bullied. Hey, you know, this, this guy is, is doing this stuff to me at school and it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, you know, because we went through this with my son, quite frankly, who was bullied. And he was bullied in middle school. We didn't find this out until he was in college. Never shared it with us because in his mind, we couldn't do anything about it. So he chose not to tell us. Well, what's going on in your daughter's life that she's choosing not to tell you about? Because she thinks you're only going to make it worse. So all you can do is keep open a line of line of communication. So, you know that that communication is so important, and and I love I love the the steps that you were talking about, um, and taking the 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 woman out for for coffee to be or virtual coffee in the environment that we're in to be able to hear their stories you know at fathering together we are all about storytelling and and making sure that the stories of fathers are told because as you said men are not always good about sharing their stories they're right. not good about talking to other men and in in and being able to talk with them about meaty topics, meaningful topics, and not just the game of the week. So, so it is important. It's so important for men to be able to come together, to be able to, whether it's in regards to gender equity or just coming together to share their truths, that is just such a powerful thing that men can and should do to be able to to be able to understand each other, but also to be able to support each other and not feel like they're having to go at being a father alone. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I want to say thank you. Thank you for all the work that you were doing. Now, I know that you said that, you know, prior to your granddaughter being born that you were kind of thinking, oh, maybe it's time for me to scale back a little <laughs> bit. Um, Talk to me about the next few years, and and I'm sure you still got corporate clients, and you're doing the corporate thing. But for you, yeah, where is that light that you are trying to attain? Where's that that light at the end of the tunnel, and what does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Part of this, uh, p- part of uh, a long time ago, I I wrote my life mission statement, uh, and it and it really still serves to guide me, and and it's really pretty simple. And it says, I want to be a learner and teacher every day. And I have found that if I am doing both of those, I'm actually really, really happy, right? I, you know, people, people have misconceptions around retirement, right? It's not about going sitting on a beach. You've got to stay engaged. You've got to find things that move your heart. Um, I'll tell you one of the things I'm finding fascinating and, and, and some work that I'm going to start to explore. Because in my training, 
I tend to talk about gender in a binary sense, men and women. And what we're now, I, I'm going to say what we're now discovering, but it's been around for, you know, 50 years, longer humanity, is the notion that gender is much more fluid. You know, uh, gender non-binary, uh, gender expression. Uh, and, and when you look at um, Gen Z, um, there's some interesting research from GLAD, 23% of Gen Z, so, you know, let's call those um, people under the age of 20, preferred gender in a non-binary context. And, and so that's where you start to think about, well, you know, all this child uh, raising that we've done to get better at kind of dispelling, you know, sexist myths, well, maybe it's actually coming to fruition. <clears throat> and how do we actually support and nurture that going forward? And, and there are so many, um, you know, contingencies out of that. And it's not just sexual orientation. It's, uh, you know, birth gender, gender expression. Uh, and, and to me, that's the next evolution. When I talk about being a gender uh, strategist or, or wanting gender equity, I'm still defining that in a binary term around women and, and where I think I'm probably going to evolve in the next two to three years is a much more inclusive message. I'm still probably going to focus on gender as a gateway to race. I don't think we're still ready to have meaningful race conversations in this, in this country. Um, and, and so if, if you ask, I don't know if it's a light right now and, and a train coming, um, but, uh, it's, it's certainly something I want to learn more about and, and see where this is coming from. Well, I, I just say, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing, you know, for the, the mission that you're championing, championing as well, because I think that it is so important in today's society. Um, and, and for, and for other men to see a man, leading the charge, I think is important too, to be able to say that this is important, to be able to say that, that, uh, that fathers <laughs> need to take the stand and men need to take a stand to be able to lift up and, and advocate for women in society today. Yeah. So thank you for yeah, that. Absolutely. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where we delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? All right. So in one word, what is fatherhood? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> um, responsibility. When was a time that you felt that you finally succeeded in being a father to a daughter? Is there a time limit on that? <laughs> no. Uh, I will tell you one of the proudest moments of my life was when my daughter got her master's degree. Uh, yeah, because we, uh, I, I came from a, a poor farm family in, uh, in Racine, Wisconsin, and I went to a, literally a one-room schoolhouse. And um, I believe everything that I uh, was able to achieve in life uh, was through education. And so literally, you know, from the age of three, uh, I, I stress the value of education to my children. And 
it must have worked because both my kids have master's degrees. And, uh, and so uh, it's, I, I just think it's something that is so important. And, and, you know, and we can define education differently nowadays. It doesn't have to be a degree. Um, but, but I would say um, that was probably my proudest moment. Now, one of the questions that I typically ask is one that I think is a little bit, I want to ask it in a little bit different way. Right. Um, typically, I would say, how would you want your kids to describe you as a father? And, and I think that that's, even though your children are, are, are adults, I think there's still a, something there for you to say how you feel about that. But I think beyond that, and you can answer that too, but beyond sure. that, talk to me about also the response that your daughter has given you to the work that you do? Um, sure. Um, it, it, and it's funny because my daughter's not in corporate America. Uh, she's an educator. And uh, boy, you want to talk about its own world of you know, gender issues going on. Um, but, you know, certainly, uh, certainly appreciative um, you know, both my children uh, acknowledge what I do and, and the work that I do. Uh, and so um, uh, it's, it's great having that rewarded. Uh, it's funny, my son is, uh, is 30, um, you know, right in the heart of that millennial. And, uh, and he would tell me I'm not doing enough. Uh, so, you know, so we have, some, we have some interesting conversations around that. Um, so, uh, so, so that's, that's what I would be. I would hope my children, uh, would, would say supportive. I would hope they would, if there was one word, I would hope it would be supportive. Now, over the years and being mm -hmm. a father, who would you say either inspires you today or inspired you to be a better father? Um, yeah, you know, it's funny that actually goes back. I can remember it, it, it vividly, um, when I was uh, 12 years old, you know, when you're, when you're on a dairy farm, um, everybody works really hard. And um, I can't recall a single time my dad took a break to play baseball with the boys or, you know, even come to a school concert. Um, and, and I actually had some struggles with that, you know, for a long time. And then I, I actually, um, um, my mom was passing and we were spending time together. My dad had died earlier. And I asked a question. I said, mom, did dad always want to be a farmer? And she said, your dad hated farming. He was the eldest son and it was his responsibility. And I'm just like, holy cows, could I have not heard this 50 years earlier? Um, you know, because, because you wanted Ward Cleaver and, and you didn't get Ward Cleaver, right? Uh, well, nobody got Ward Cleaver. So, um, but um, uh, when I was uh, 12, um, the neighbor man uh, invited me to come to Boy Scouts. Um, they had, uh, it was a good family, good big family. They had uh, nine boys and three girls. And they had the nine boys in a row. And, and so they were always the house everybody went to because the house was a disaster, right? The doors were off the hinges and everything else. And we had so much fun with them. And he, in, uh, he invited me to come and join Boy Scouts. And it was life-changing for me. Uh, I would uh, find focus. I'd become an Eagle Scout. Uh, it led me to wanting to travel and explore and learn. And just this single invitation 
and then getting responsibilities. Uh, and I know the Boy Scouts has, has you know really had some issues lately, but um, the skills that it taught me as a 15 year old to be responsible for the 11 year olds you're with uh, stayed with me my whole life. So, uh, so he was kind of the dad everybody wished they had because you never had to clean your room. <laughs> and finally, what advice would you give to other dads? Oh gosh. Just be patient. Just be patient. You know, boy, and it's the hardest thing to do, especially in the moment, right? Um, bite your tongue, walk away. Um, just take a deep breath. Um, um, I'm actually much more concerned about my granddaughter than I was my daughter. Life is so different today. You know, my daughter's 35. It wasn't that long ago. The world has changed. And, you know, my, uh, it's funny, we're having this podcast. My son is actually going to become a father in November. Um, they haven't revealed a gender yet, so so I don't know what uh, what that's going to be, uh, but I'm excited. But you can just see when they talk about the future, the concern, and you know we we joke, um, you know our, our our friends around us who are kind of the same age around. Boy, you know we had it so easy at the time. We thought it was so tough, and boy, raising kids today is so hard. And, and what's going to happen to make that easier? I don't know. Um, I, I hope something happens, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, but, but the number one advice I would give is just patience. So. Well, Jeffrey, I just want to say thank you for being here today. Now, if people Absolutely. want to find more about you, what you're doing, more about the, the pledge, where should they go? Yeah, uh, thanks for that. Um, so my website is y women.biz, biz. And um, what I want to share with you right now for, for both your listeners and your uh, corporate folks, on October 5th, I am launching two uh, virtual learning modules. Uh, one is based on my keynote, Why Women, the Leadership Imperative to Advancing Women and Engaging Men. And it includes a, a self-assessment of a gender awareness profile that men can take to see how much of an advocate they are. And there's also a a version for women. And it also includes a white paper on the four key actions to advance women now. Uh, It's about a 35-minute podcast. It includes uh, discussion points and things, so it runs about an hour. Uh, It's free. Download it. Share it with all your friends. And and that's the best free gift I can give anybody because it has one simple goal. I present some data. And then I want you to talk about it. And that's how we're going to start to drive gender conversations. And even though it's a corporate focus, it has so much applicability uh, across other, other uh, areas. So, so please pass that along. There's also a module um, that tells business resource groups how to write a strategic plan. Uh, having done work with business resource groups for almost 20 years, um, most are led by well-meaning volunteers, but they haven't really been taught how to write a strategic plan that's actually going to help the company. They'll have a lot of programs. They'll have a lot of initiatives. This helps them write a plan. And again, it's free. You can download it on my website. 
Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey. I, I just want to say this has been great. I have really appreciated you being here and all the information that you've shared. And uh, I wish you all the best. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men, get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.